This bonus episode of Hitting Play is brought to you without commercial interruption by Magnificent Quartet. Watch Sir Magnificent, Transparent Lady, Fire Guy, and The That. Take on Physician Gloom with actions so bland, you'll swear it's a slideshow. Magnificent Quartet. In theaters now. No, it's gone. No. Actually, it's gone. Welcome to this bonus episode of Hitting Play, the podcast where we usually review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, your host for this episode. This past weekend, Sean and I decided to make the trip to attend the annual Connecticut Comic Con, and we figured we'd record our experience and talk about the various sights, sounds, smells, whatever we'd encounter, and what additions we'd try to make to our various comic book collections. As a disclaimer, the audio segments you are about to hear were recorded in a car, uh, more specifically Sean's noisy Nissan, so it's not up to our normal standards of recording quality. And if this is your first time listening to the show, don't worry, it doesn't usually sound like this. Alright, so we start our discussion on the road as we pass through the historic whaling town of New Bedford, Massachusetts. Okay, well, we are currently in the car on the way to the Connecticut Comic-Con at Mohegan Sun Convention Center in Uncasville, Connecticut. It is currently August 15th. I'm going home. It's quite exciting. This is where I grew up in this area, southeastern Connecticut, so it'd be nice to visit for the day at the beautiful Mohegan Sun Casino and Resort and Convention Center. There's going to be a, a huge lineup of guests here. I have a flyer. No Stan Lee, unfortunately, but uh, quite quite the lineup here. I, I'm seeing uh, some people like Roy Thomas, who used to be the uh, editor-in-chief at Marvel, as well as uh, Jim Shooter. He was also editor-in-chief. Walt Simonson, who was uh, a great writer and artist on uh, Thor. Uh, his wife, Louise Simonson. John Wesley Shipp, if you're a fan of the best show, you know that he's uh, Spike's Facebook friend, as well as the uh, former Flash. And I, I, is he, he's in the current Flash? Yeah, he plays, uh, I believe, the Flash's um, father, uh, who's in prison. If you haven't watched the show, it's a spoiler for you. It's in the first episode, so it's not really a spoiler, but he uh, plays that role as Barry Allen's father in, in the show. Now, also, uh, Kevin Conroy is going to be there. He was the voice of Batman in Batman the Animated Series. That's pretty cool. And uh, this is this is a very big one. Ki-Hoi Kwan. He was uh, Data in The Goonies as well as Short Round in uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. So uh, do you think you're going to try to get his autograph? I am going to try to get his autograph. I am a child of the mid-'80s, late-'80s, so I am uh, very aware of his acting ability. I'm looking forward to saying hello and getting an autograph. I checked out his IMDb stuff, or actually his Wikipedia page last night, to see what he's been up to besides, you know, the Goonies and Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom. And his career really didn't go, his acting career at least, didn't go much further than that. He was on a show, I don't know if you remember this, Scott, from the late 80s called Head of the Class. You remember that show? Oh yeah, I used to watch Head of the Class. He was either a guest member or a, uh, a regular um, cast member of that show for a while. And he's been doing some other things since then. He's, he's actually a very intelligent gentleman. He speaks like four languages. He does some other creative type work. It's just to meet somebody who's in the cast of Goonies, which is a really iconic film. I mean, anyone who grew up in the 80s, Goonies were a big thing. And Indiana Jones, you know, short round. Great, great role there he played for that one movie. So it would be a pleasure to meet him. So do you do you know what you're going to say to him when you walk up to the table? Do you have anything in mind? I'm just going to probably, uh, I've been rehearsing this actually, what I'm going to say to him. Probably just thank you for being part of my childhood. You know, thanks for being there and in, in, in your roles. It really was. I mean, I, I really appreciate it. I looked up to his, his roles in both of his major feature films. I'll probably just stammer something and wet myself. So that's why I, 
you know, probably happen, but I have, you know, a speech in mind if I happen to be able to spit it out. Do you, do you want to rehearse it right now? I'll, I'll play, uh, I'll play Mr. Kwan. You approach the table. Should I call him Mr. Kwan? I, I think that's, yeah. Show some respect. Hello, Mr. Kwan. I, I, it's a pleasure to meet you, and um, I just want to say I, it's been a, it's a, privilege, a privilege to meet you. Again, there's a new Scott. And thank you for, for all your roles and being part of my, my childhood. You really were a inspiration for me um, growing up. Did you pay the $50 to be in this line? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I paid out that. I have my receipt right here, my ticket. Let me see it. Um, uh, uh, Scott, do you have that ticket? Uh, here it is, here it is, sir. Here. I'm not in line! Uh, here it is, here it is. I found it in my pocket. Okay. Do you accept my... Do you want me to sign this ticket? No, no, you can sign this uh, headshot I bought over there for $45 of you as a uh, short round. So it's about 30 years old or so, 35 years old, but you can sign that if your child self would be fantastic. Next! It, that, it's, no, can I, can I tell you something else too, sir? No? I, I guess I'll go on to Chase Masterson now and, and uh, ask her to sign something. Hey, honey, what do you want? <laughs> oh, I, I got him. She's going to talk like that. <laughs> She's also in uh, this Comic-Con, Chase Masterson, who any Star Trek fans might know her as the Dabo Girl Lita. She's a late addition, I believe, to the Comic-Con lineup of uh, guests here. Um, I just saw her a few days ago, actually, on the, on the website. So she was in the later seasons of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, she played uh, a small role to begin with. Became more of a central character in probably the late, you know, the later seasons of uh, Deep Space Nine. She married Rom, the Fringi brother of Quark, who later became the um, Grand Nagus of Fringanar at the end of the uh, of the run of Deep Space Nine. She was influenced in my teenage years. So, do you, do you want to practice how that uh, autograph signing would go? I think with her, I'm just gonna say hello and think that nice to meet you. I probably will wet myself with her again, too. Um, not that she was a major figure in Star Trek, but it's, it's interesting to meet somebody who was in that, in that role, in that world. <laughs> now, uh, also appearing today, I, I think it's only today and tomorrow, or, or possibly even just today, is uh, Adrian Pazdar. He was uh, Nathan Petrelli in Heroes. He's also, uh, I think he's a general, General Glenn Talbot from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You know, the guy with the mustache, kind of the southern accent. Oh, yeah, okay. And uh, also, Greg... Grunberg, he's also from Heroes, and he is going to be in Star Wars Episode Seven. I, I did see that. I saw that he was uh, on his IMDb. Who is he playing in Star Wars Episode Seven? Do we know yet? I don't think it's been revealed yet. I, I think he goes back to like, like goes way back with J.J. Abrams, back to like Alias and all those. Uh, I think he's just you know doing his buddy a solid, putting him in the movie in some some role. So basically he's a stormtrooper is what you're saying. Could be. Could be like Simon Pegg and be wearing this, you know, full rubber suit. We don't even know what he looks like. Yeah, well, I, I hope he has a significant role. I wish we kind of had more high-level celebrities, I guess you can say. It's interesting because there's a lot of artists, like we were just talking about a minute ago. I was really surprised how many artists, comic book uh, writers are in, in really higher name people in this Comic-Con. And um, for other celebrities, like you don't have a Stan Lee type celebrity or even a um, Adam West type celebrity, which would have been nice to, to see. So that's kind of interesting, but there are some interesting names there that you'd like to meet. And probably pretty easy, I would say, to be able to get an autograph. I don't think it would be too too hard to wrangle, you know, get in the line for one of these people. Definitely. I'm looking through this flyer, and they unfortunately gave us the billing of the artists and then put what they've worked on or what they're most known for in quotes between their first and last name. I don't know if I'm explaining this right. But, like, for example, uh, Louise Simonson is billed here as Louise Superman Simonson. It makes it look like her nickname is Superman. Kind of a strange way of formatting this text. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm just afraid that Paul Kupperberg here is going to be uh, referred to as Supergirl, since he's on this flyer as Paul Supergirl Kupperberg. Yeah, that was an interesting way they did this flyer. Um, I don't think the website's like that. I think it's the way I would have done this if I designed it was, you know, put their name and then put a dash or something or a comma <laughs> and then put with, in, in quote or in italics what they are in quotes what they were writers on. Like you said, it looks very much like that's her nickname or something. Um, one example is one of the guests at the very bottom there is Jerry the King Lawler is going to be there today. And obviously that's his nickname. 
he didn't write for a comic book called The King. He's Jerry the King Lawler, so it, it kind of is very strange. But some of them up on top, like Roy Thomas, he, he's not in quotes for what he did, maybe because it's too long, but they... It's very strange formatting on this. I guess they only have so much room, or I don't know. Now, are you going to try to get an autograph from Jerry the King Lawler? If it was Roddy Roddy Piper, yes, I would have gotten an autograph. Not for Jerry the King Lawler. I just can't bring myself to it. Don't you want to find out if he actually did break Andy Kaufman's neck, if that was real or if that was staged? Oh, I know it's real. That's why Andy Kaufman died. The complications from that neck breaking, so, you know. Yeah, he may not be dead. He may not be dead, yeah, that's true. We don't know. He might be at this Comic-Con, for all we know. No. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, celebrities, a couple of the comic book men from AMC's Comic Book Men are going to be there. You going you gonna to say hi to those guys? Yeah, you know, I do like that show. I know we have differing opinions about this a little bit. I've watched every episode of Comic Book Men. And, you know, honestly... I started collecting with you, Scott, comic books again um, last year sometime. And it, this show kind of was the catalyst to get me interested in comic books again. So I would give him that credit. It's funny that the two members of the comic book men who are going to be here are Ming Cheng and Mike uh, Zapsix, which are kind of like the background guys. I mean, they're main characters of comic book men. I'm not going to say they're not. They're main cast members. But the, the two bigger guys... Uh, Walt and the other guy, I forget his name. Brian something. Brian, yeah, yeah. sorry, Brian. Are not going to be there. So it's kind of, if I was to Connecticut Comic Con, I don't know if I'd be offended by that. Um, <laughs> that they're sending the, the kind of the second stringers in to uh, kind of, it's not Boston, it's not San Diego. Let's send these two guys to go do this for the weekend. You know, I might get something signed by them. I might, if they have a, a, a copy of their comic book, if it's free, I'm not going to really pay for it. <laughs> But I might get that signed, or say hello, I mean, and tell them how much they influenced me. That is, that is a pretty decent, it's a Pawn Star-type reality show, if you haven't seen Comic Book Man, it's on Netflix. But they don't even, like, really review or, or analyze many comic books on the show. Do you know that, Scott? Yeah, they have a lot of, like, toys. A lot of toys and figures and G.I. Joes, and it's, I see a lot more toys than comic books. Yeah, it's mostly people bringing in toys. I'm sure it's screened. I'm sure it's, you know, people aren't just walking off the street and have the cameras running 24-7 to catch something. People have, it's like, you know, Pawn Stars where they have things pre-screened and, you know, ready to go to keep the flow of the show, I guess, production value going. Yeah, so there was a really good episode of that show, which I appreciated, that talked about the CGC, which will also be at the comic book show today. But I'm actually at Comic-Con. I'm actually looking forward to talking to some of those guys because I have a couple of issues I would like to eventually send to the CGC to get analyzed and graded professionally and enshrined in plastic forever. But they did have a really good episode of that show where a guy did bring in his, his father's collection or something. And they they had like someone from the CGC come in and explain the process and kind of rate his comics right there on the spot. So that would be interesting to see. They will be there, I read, for the signings. So if you were going to get your comic book signed and then graded, it would be part of their signature grading series. Oh. And they would have like the yellow tab across the top and it would be graded as an official authenticated signed comic. Oh, so they will do that. They will do that service there today. They will do that. They will authenticate the signature, but the grading will be done in Florida and it'll take one to two months, they said. Yeah. I read on this website, because we had a question, Scott and I were talking about this before, about since we saw the CGC was going to be there, do they grade any show on site? And I looked last night at the website of the CGC, because I still had this question. I was curious. We'll do some more research on it. And some shows, believe it or not, Scott, they do grade on site. Really? Yeah. Those the bigger ones. I think one that was coming up in the near future or just past is uh, Baltimore Comic Con. They they do send. They're going to be at the other shows and the smaller shows, but they do. They have a little symbol there in their website that said grading on site. So that's something to keep in mind. If you, I don't know if there's still a way to get it sealed or whatever, but if you have some valuable comic books that you're kind of on the fence about grading, check out the CGC's website and their events page. I think it's in the link about where they're going to be or future events or something, and it's pretty easy to find. And they do have the, the specific, it looks like once a month or so, a, during the year, they go to a, a show that takes place and they, they do on-site grading, so that'd be an option instead of having to wait six months for your comic to come back. Oh, that's very cool. I didn't realize they, they did that. I thought it was just a booth where, the, well, I guess it, it will be in our case for this Comic-Con, but just a booth where they 
pick up your comic, you sign it, you pay, and they get your inf- information, and you'll have to wait the two months. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't feel that uncomfortable with something I just bought that was signed. Like, if it's a new issue of something, like if I pulled it off the rack, I don't know, Justice League or something, that was brand new and got signed by one of the creators or artists, I wouldn't feel too uncomfortable, because at that point, my investment's only, you know, five, six bucks to send off the CGC. I would feel kind of uncomfortable if they had, like, a uh, a booth that you could leave your valuable comics with them here and they would send it away. We were kind of talking about that yesterday, too. Do they do that also? Like, do they take submission at the show? I, I don't know. Maybe I trust the U.S. Postal Service more than I trust employees of... Uh, <laughs> or guests of the Comic-Con shows, but I feel very wary leaving my Brave and the Bold 30 or my Justice League books at a show like this and saying goodbye to them with, you know, 10,000 people walking around. Yeah, I don't blame you. We are now on a bridge passing the... What is what is this? Is that the SS Massachusetts? That is the USS Massachusetts. We are, we are entering right now Somerset, Massachusetts. We are left Fall River, Massachusetts. We are crossing over this river, which I don't know what it's called. Um, this bridge used to be green. It's now blue. They painted it. The, call it the Green Bridge. This, believe it or not, Scott, this is about um, the halfway point um, of our trip, probably, down to Connecticut from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I know this point because it's about exactly an hour back to the Cape from this point if you're going the other direction, and about the same amount going to Connecticut. So we're getting there. Okay, so now we cross the border into Rhode Island, and the conversation picks up as we pass an iconic local landmark, and we talk about what items are on our want list for the day. Okay, we are now in Rhode Island, and Sean, could you explain what we are passing right now? We had just passed the landmark of Providence, Rhode Island. You might be thinking to yourself, what could this be? A historical site? A state house, possibly? Nope. We just passed on Interstate 95... The big blue bug of the big blue bug bug people solutions company. You might have seen the big blue bug because this movie is prominent in the, um, well, somewhat prominent, I guess, in the movie Dumb and Dumber. As the boys in that movie, uh, Harry and Lloyd, are leaving Providence and they're driving down 95 like we are now. You can see it as an aerial view. They pass the big blue bug. So it's a, it's a well-known Providence landmark that's been out there forever. So we're, we're on our way to Connecticut. Straight shot, basically, now. We're going to go down 95 and right into Connecticut, into New London, Groton area. So we got you know a little bit longer, but not, not too far. All right, so let me ask you now. Uh, do you have anything in mind? What, what exactly are you looking for when we go? Well, never being to a comic book show before, I'm, I'm curious to see what the vendors bring. I've heard from our friend Rick at Atomic Dime Store in Hyannis, Massachusetts. Visit Rick friends, West Main Street in Hyannis, that all these comic book shops, they really bring their nicest books. That's what I'm kind of expecting to sell at the comic book uh, convention. I don't know if you've heard any different, Scott, but I don't think... No, pretty much the same. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see tons and tons of just boxes of dollar books. Um, I think we're going to see some pretty high, high-end books. So that in mind, I'm really looking to always... in my Justice League Volume 1 Silver Age collection. Primarily for the low numbers, I have my app, my uh, my database of, of books I need. So I'm probably looking for some something in the teens, I would say, or lower in the, in the single digits Justice Leagues, if they're reasonably priced. Those can get quite pricey. Always out for the elusive Justice League number one, which I won't be able to afford, but just to stare at it would be nice. I, I'm looking also for some of the rare compilations, I guess, like the uh, Death in the Family. I've always wanted a copy of that. It's, I think it's a four-part or five-part series from the mid-'80s, uh, late-'80s, early-'90s-ish. Um, I always had friends that had it. It's the Death of Robin, basically. It's everywhere you could possibly find it in a compiled version, which is worth pretty much nothing. But to find the original articles would be kind of nice. Basically anything else that maybe some... Flash or some Green Lantern books. DC, definitely. We'll see what they have, basically. Also, I'm looking for some posters, things like that. Maybe some figures, figurines, uh, whatever we can find. It's going to be an experience, and I look forward to talking about it on our ride home today. How about you, Scott? What do you, what do you have in looking for? Well, I was trying to think of what exactly I should look for. I, I have a collection of Uncanny X-Men that I would also like to find issues of, uh, particularly lower-numbered issues. So we'll see, you know, what exactly they price these things at. Hopefully we find, 
you know, something pretty cheap, what we're looking for. I think uh, Justice League started in, like, what, 1960? Yeah, I think it was 60, yeah, 60, I believe. And X-Men started in 1963. So both both of our low-numbered issues that we're looking for will probably be around the same price, depending on, I know that, like, X-Men number four is, like, you know, ridiculous. So I'm not probably going to spend $600 if I see one of those. You know, so excluding those, if I can find... Uh, some X-Men, maybe to fill out number, you know, in the 30s, 20s or 30s, you know, I'm hoping for. Lower if they have it for a good price. I'm also looking for some older Mad Magazines. I, I do have a collection of Mad Magazines that I will never get every issue of, but I still like to look for those. It would be really cool to find uh, Mad Magazine with the original uh, yellow Mad on the cover. Those are the, the older, smaller issues before they went to the iconic red, almost, you know, wavy-looking letters that you see now to this day. There was an artist named Norman Mingo who did a lot of awesome covers throughout, like, the 50s and 60s, and it would be cool to see if they had uh, some of his more iconic artwork, you know, those covers that featured uh, th that artwork. So I'm going to look for that, and if they have something, like, really cheap, like uh, some old X-Men trading cards from the 90s, sets like that, would be really cool. Uh, I'm not going to pay $50 or $20 for them. But if they have some, uh, that's another thing that I've always kind of wanted since I was younger. Yeah, and it'd be interesting. Like I said, this is both our, our first conventions. I've never been to a Comic-Con before of any kind. So it's kind of interesting to see what they are actually trying to sell and if they have discounts. I'm guessing they'll have some kind of discounts. They're trying to move volume probably in these, these shows. So might be able to do some... Um, Force trade-in, as they say, you know, a little bit of negotiation here and there about things. I think they may be more, more flexible. You know, probably tomorrow would be the day to do more, <laughs> you know, negotiation type stuff. But what are you going to do? It's the last day of the show, tomorrow. I'm also looking forward to the cosplay type stuff. I'm not cosplaying myself, and neither is Scott, as far as I know. Nope. But I've always been interested in the uh, phenomenon of, of cosplay. We actually have some friends, Scott, mutual friends, who went to the, the uh, Boston Comic-Con two weeks ago, a couple weeks ago now, and they dressed up as Rocket Raccoon and Star-Lord from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. And mm -hmm. The young man who did Rocket Raccoon is, you know, a, a teenager, and uh, he basically said he had to take the mask off. He had a mask and everything after um, not too long in the convention center. But some of these people are really motivated, and I, I, I'd be curious, and I'm assuming most of the clientele or the guests of the Comic-Con are going to be from Connecticut area, maybe some traveling from Mass like we are, but to see what they come up with, basically, for, for costumes and that sort of thing. I was actually very surprised to see that there is a Comic-Con in Connecticut. I guess there's two. There's one in Hartford. I think it's been a couple of weeks or a few weeks or something. So I kind of wish when I was here for the past, you know, 30 years of my life, when I lived here, there was more of this, but it's really nice to see it at the Mohegan Sun. And yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So we'll see if we've found what we're looking for anyway. At this point, we entered the great state of Connecticut, of which you'll hear Sean is very passionate about, and the discussion resumes as we ponder the life of one of the more minor characters in the Star Wars trilogy. Okay, I'm recording now. Well, what, continue that question. Well, we were just talking about uh, the bounty hunter Dengar from Star Wars uh, Empire Strikes Back. There is that scene with all the bounty hunters in the... Was it the Super Star Destroyer or is it the Star Destroyer? I'm not sure which one, but yeah. I can't recall which yeah. one he had at that point. Darth Vader's Star Destroyer, and he's like basically commissioning them. Bubba Fett's there, and five or six other bounty hunters. Commissioning, Vader's commissioning them to go find the Millennium Falcon, basically. And we have... What are some of the bounty hunters we see? IG-88. IG-88 is there. Bosk. Bosk, which is the weird Gorn-type reptilian thing. Forlom and Zuckus, I think, are there. Who are they? Forlom has, like, the two oh, weird, yeah. like, bug eyes, and yeah. he's, like, a droid. Yeah, Forlom. He's, like, half droid, half something else. Yeah. And, of course, we have Dengar, which is, again, we're just saying, not, not very professional in Dengar's part. To go to that, he's all in bandages, he's all wrapped up. It's like, what's wrong with him? Is he just, like, down his luck, or is he been injured, or is he just... It's almost like he has leprosy or something. He has to wear bandages all the time. Every time you see Dengar, he has bandages on. And I'm just curious what's up with that guy. You wonder if maybe, like, this was his big break. Like, finally, Darth Vader wants to finally meet with some of the most notable bounty hunters in the galaxy, or at least in that section of the galaxy. This is one big break, and of course, he, he gets into this horrible starship accident. And he, like, tells his wife, like, I, I gotta go. I don't care. I, I have to go. And just shows up with all the bandages. And, you know, he probably felt 
better seeing Bosk and Forlom and all these other crazy like mutants that uh, that look all weird. So he probably felt less self-conscious then. Like, okay, I guess we have to invite. If we invite Bosk, we have to invite Dengar to come in, you know, be part of this. And we know he's not going to catch anybody because he's an idiot. On a side point, we are now entering Connecticut, my beautiful home state. So we are traveling through Connecticut right now. What's up with those mice droids? Let's go into that subject for a second. Talking about Star Wars. Are they? What's the purpose of the mouse droid? Do we know on the Death Star? I think they're on Star Destroyers, too. I'm sure Paul, our uh, resident Star Wars expert, could probably tell us all about it. Uh, I certainly do not know. I would imagine that they do some sort of security work or cleaning. Yeah, I mean, it is seem to, you know, scoot around. Maybe messengers. Maybe they like messenger droids or something. I don't, I don't know. Or There was a theory on uh, a great podcast. It's called the Star Wars Minute. It's on iTunes. Look it up. They go over the movies one minute at a time. But there's one episode where they talk about the mice droids and how they might be, they, they said they might be like uh, guide droids. Kind of like how you go into the Death Star and someone says, hey, I need to get to level, detention level. And then you go, okay, it's a mouse droid. Just follow him and he'll lead you there sort of thing. And one of the hosts of that show said that it would be pretty cool if they had, uh, they should have those in hotels. Like you check in at a hotel and, you know, you're like, hey, my room, you know, they always tell you what your room is. It's like room 327 or something. You say, hey, follow the mouse droid. He'll bring you right to your room. Maybe that's the next, next level. Yeah, I guess that would be, <laughs> that would be something new. I forget now, does, does the mouse droid or, does it get scared at one point? <laughs> Chewbacca screams at it or growls at it. That's what it was, yeah. And he goes, Wow, I see an Alaska license plate here. So everybody comes to uh, Connecticut. Yes, it's a uh, it's a gem of uh, southeastern New England, really. We are now heading on I-95 South through. Uh, we'll be heading into Groton, Connecticut soon. Groton uh, has a bunch of boroughs, Mystic, Connecticut, which was the home of the and where the famous movie from 1987, 88-ish Mystic Pizza was filmed, starring. Julia Roberts, actually entering Stonington right now. We're near the Foxwoods Casino. Rotten also, um... Well, rhymes with Rotten. Rhymes with Rotten. Rotten is home to a United States submarine base. And actually, you'll see a sign coming up soon, Scott. It is actually the home of the submarine. Docked on the wonderful shores of the Thames River in Rotten is the USS Nautilus. Do you know what the Nautilus was, Scott? That was Captain Nemo's ship, wasn't it? I believe it was Captain Nemo's ship. It also it was a submarine in the service of the U.S. Navy. And I think in 1959, it was the first nuclear-powered submarine. Oh, wow. So it's, it's now moored and docked the museum ship on the, on the uh, coast of the submarine museum. You can go tour it if you wish, go down into the, the depths of the Nautilus. The sub-base is also out of the river we're going to be passing over shortly. Is home to uh, General Dynamics, and uh, they build submarines there, basically. Electric boat, build submarines for the U.S. Navy. They built the Seawolf-class submarine, most notably. The USS Connecticut is there, and the USS Hartford, I believe, is there. It's actually a reference, believe it or not. Here's a little little, uh, reference for James Bond fans. In the movie Goldfinger, there was a scene where, I forget his first name, Mr. Goldfinger, is talking to James Bond having a drink in his uh, horse ranch in Kentucky and he's talking about his plans for world domination the whole deal and he mentions you know his targets for a nuclear bomb to go off and of course the plot of that movie spoiler alert is that he puts a bomb in Fort Knox the value of gold would increase because most of the gold would be you know radiated for a number of years but he would be you know make some money off that anyway one of the things they mention is the Polaris missile the Polaris boat plants at New London I think they used to make warships here too or missile boats here too a little more history about New London we're going to be passing in a second there was a, a battle of the Revolutionary War fought here didn't last long it was commanded by Benedict Arnold believe it or not on the British side when he was a turncoat, he uh, after he became a general and changed sides during the Revolutionary War, they um, they invaded Groton and New London, burned New London to the ground. Well, New London's on one side of the river and Groton's on the other side of the river. And the fort is down Groton. It's actually kind of cool to go down there. You can take walks and see the, the battlements and things. But yeah, Groton had the fort. They took it over, killed the commander, burned the city to the ground. Another fun fact: Benedict Arnold was born in the same city I was. It's just uh, Norwich, Connecticut, which is right down the river from where we're going to be. So, But you don't have a tasty breakfast named after you. 
I don't, unfortunately. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. I'm working on one. And just it's kind of funny, as a local legend, you can actually go, I've been to it, uh, Benedict Arnold's mother's grave and his family's graves are in Norwich. And um, he was buried in England, I think, Benedict Arnold. Um, regular London. Yes, regular London. Not not the... Uh, the new one. The new one. <laughs> not the new London. You might have heard of the Poe poster, I guess they call them, where every year someone goes to, or had been for a long time, goes to Edgar Allan Poe's gravesite in Baltimore. Have you heard of that, Scott? Yeah, they leave a, a rose on the gravestone. Yeah, and they leave like a poem or something, or a little note, and no one ever finds... They wait for them, but they never stop them, apparently. It's like a tradition. There's a similar thing with Ben McDonald's mother. A admirer who comes in on her birthday or something leaves flowers or something and they don't know who it is. So that's, that's one interesting thing. Could be the actor that played Dengar. <laughs> you can't prove it's not. Uh, who is the actor who played Dengar? I don't, I don't know who that is. Mike Johnson. Mike, is that Mike Johnson, really? I don't know. Okay. Um, <laughs> Again, prove that it's not. I, I will not. <laughs> I will not try to prove that it's not. But we'll be passing over this area shortly into southeastern Connecticut. One more thing, there is also a, we might see it as we go, Scott, over the river. There is, in New London, is the United States Coast Guard Academy, where all the Coast Guard cadets come to be officers, do officer training and go to the academy. We'll be passing it, actually, shortly as we go towards the Mohegan Sun. And there is a boat that they use for training. It's an, a sailing vessel. Well, I don't have any math or whatever it is, but it's a Coast Guard. It's called the Eagle. And they take trips, you know, actually sailing trips, like the old-fashioned way, down to different places on, for training cruises. And that boat, we can usually see it moored. It might be, I don't know if it'd be out now, but sometimes it's, it's docked down here as we pass over the bridge in a few minutes. Oh, we're entering Groton right now. That, roll them up. Roll them up. That ship was uh, actually a uh, Nazi ship. Um, it was one of Hitler's uh, ships, boats that they confiscated after the war. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, and rebranded re, uh, it, fixed it up. It's painted the Coast Guard color, so it's all white and has like a red stripe on it. So it's now the uh, Coast Guard training vessel. Wow. Sometimes it's kind of cool if you get you at the right time when you're passing over this huge bridge. Uh, it's called the um, Gold Star Bridge. That, crosses, that connects Broughton and New London. You can see a tugboat tugging a... Uh, a submarine in. So that, that's kind of cool. There's also, believe it or not, we saw it a few times, over the past few years, there's been cruise ships that have come up and docked in New London. And they're right near the bridge we're going to be passing over in a few minutes. And it was very freaky going over the bridge because literally the top of the cruise ship is like the same level you are. That's how big the cruise ships are. Oh, wow. You can almost see people on the deck, like right, right where you are on the bridge. <laughs> and I guess they, I mean, what I've heard from people who are, you know, in the, in the know about sailing, they had very little clearance in the bottom of the Thames River to come up into New London. It was very, I guess, tricky navigating it. You could easily ground the thing. But they started doing that a couple of years ago, once or twice a year, bringing cruise ships in to bring people to the casinos. The Mohegan Sun lies right on the Thames River. We're going to be actually going parallel to the river once you cross over to the New London side. The Thames River goes up from the New London Sound through Groton, New London, again, goes past Uncasville, where the Mohegan Sun is, and ends basically in the Norwich area. Interesting area. A lot of Native American stuff down here. Uncas was down here. Uncas, he was a Native American. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> Alright, so there's your history lesson for the day. Now at this point, we walked a great distance through the Mohegan Sun Casino. There was a lot of cigarette smoke. I was actually pretty surprised by that. Uh, I had to laugh at one point. We were walking by the casino floor, and I saw the Sex in the City slot machines that Tom Sharpling has talked about so much on The Best Show over the years. It was very funny to see them in person. So, unfortunately, we did not record inside the convention center. But our conversation now picks up hours later as we leave the Comic-Con. Okay, and we have now left the exhibition floor, and uh, yeah, that was quite the experience. We really couldn't record while we were walking around as much as we would want to. For one, it was extremely noisy, more than I anticipated. Yeah. And uh, also, I think if we were suspiciously walking around a casino, talking into a device, we probably would have been tackled. <laughs> it was definitely noisy, and you had a lot of cosplayers who being rambunctious, I guess is the way to put it, noises and such, so... It's this random joker sound. Definitely not the environment to record anything. So uh, there's a lot of people dressed up. <laughs> it's uh, very uh, interesting. So uh, what, what were some of your favorite costumes that you saw? I did see a couple of good Indiana Jones costumes. I saw a couple of good 
That's where we're leaving, actually. I saw a couple of good Black Widow costumes. There was uh, some Bob's Burgers themed costumes, which were very funny. In my opinion, 90% of the costumes were disturbing to me. <laughs> and I give people credit. I can never dress up in a costume and do cosplay stuff, I don't think. But some people should not be wearing the costumes that they were wearing. I hate to say it. Today I saw a very um, big Aquaman who let himself go. It was very sad. I, I wasn't, and some of the costumes are just kind of cheesy and thrown together, obviously, but I, I give them credit for going out and doing it, but, oh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was scary. And the smells in that place were beyond what you could believe. Yeah, the smell overall was kind of weird. It, it smelled like plastic and old paper. I smelled some incense, just B.O., and it was like a, a mishmash of different smells that should never be together that were together. Uh, yes, uh, an olfactory cornucopia. Yeah. Uh, there was one guy dressed as Chewbacca, and either the man was wearing platform shoes or he was himself eight feet tall. Yeah, that was that was another costume I liked, too. Yeah, the Chewbacca guy was definitely cool. People who tried different things, a lot of Jokers. I saw a number of Joker. I, I saw maybe one that was kind of good, but most of them are just, ugh, this is scary. Yeah, hug your children, guys. If you if you have young kids, give them a hug. Please, I mean, you don't want them to turn to that. And there was some really disturbing Walking Dead stuff. Not people in cosplay, but just like a whole a whole booth dedicated to Walking Dead. They would basically, for a price, turn you into a zombie. You know, do special makeup effects and everything, which is, okay, whatever. Yeah. But, um... There was little girls getting, like, stuff done. I saw, like, a little girl in the makeup chair like, getting, you know, I don't know what she's getting on. It's like, her organs coming out. It's like, oh, that's, that's disgusting. Yeah, that's nasty. Well, there was something for everybody. I guess you could say that. Yeah, that's for sure. Now, we did see some celebrities. Uh, we didn't necessarily go up and pay to get an autograph or a picture. Some were pretty pricey, but we at least got to look at them for free. Yeah, you know what? I That's one of the things when we were talking this morning that I was excited about. Maybe, you know meeting the kids in the Goonies, seeing the celebrities and getting my picture with them or vice versa. And they were there pretty much the entire time, which is kind of amazing. And the lines weren't long. There's no long lines. They had tables and people would go up when they felt like it and get a picture. But like Scott said, like you just said, Scott, I mean, those prices were exorbitant for the level of celebrity you're getting. Uh, I figured maybe five bucks and maybe you buy a picture for five bucks and they'd sign it or whatever. So you're out 10 bucks, 10, 15 bucks. Like, one of them was, I think, just a picture, like 30 bucks. And and a picture in the, uh, a signed picture, I mean, a signed uh, autograph. And a a picture with a person with the signed thing was like 50. Yeah. It was like, that's no way I'm spending 50 bucks to have my picture taken with the kid from Goonies. <laughs> I mean, I liked him. And I, actually, there was one time when he did speak. Um, he sounded just like the kid, like, like he went in the Goonies. His voice hasn't really changed at all. It's really funny. So I got, I got a little kick off that. But you could stand near him and look, look at him. Stare at him if you want to, I guess. <laughs> Who else do we see for Scott? We saw John Wesley Ship. John Wesley Ship. Same thing. I mean, it's always like cash only. You know, they have a thing. Yeah. Signs up. A piece of paper, too. You know. And we did ask where's Spike as we walked by. Yeah, I mean, get a response. But no, I mean, we weren't annoying about no, it. No. But if you're a Best Show fan, you know what I'm talking about. But, yeah, he, his was, he was 30 bucks for a signed... I don't think he did pictures with anybody. I think it was signed stuff, and it yeah. was 30 bucks. Comic book men were... I didn't even see the price on them, but... Huge line for them. Yeah, yeah, they they, they were popular. Uh, Greg Grunberg, and uh, I didn't see Adrian Pazdar, but I saw Greg Grunberg. He was smi- I mean, what I, I should say, like, we should mention that everybody was smiling and shaking hands and taking pictures with people and, like, happy to see everybody and... You know, obviously, I know they're getting paid, but they don't have to necessarily act <laughs> that as happy as they did. So they they were good with the fans. No, yeah, but the, the cash, the price was again exorbitant. I, you know, was very kind of disappointed in you know how much they were charging. And uh, once I saw those prices, I'm like, there's no way I'm spending this money to get my picture taken with this person or or whatever. It's not not gonna happen. So. Yeah. But we got to see him, and that that was pretty cool. All right, well, we're gonna eat Chinese food now and uh, <laughs> and record some more. So from talking about terrible smells and B.O. and people with their organs spilling out, we stopped at a delicious buffet restaurant where we ate scoops of glazed chicken and spring rolls. And now, as dinner ends, we finish our discussion. Okay, we're done eating our Chinese food. Oh, it was delicious. It was wonderful. So uh, let's talk a little bit about what we actually found. 
what what did you buy? Well, I got a low number Justice League like I wanted to get. I got Justice League number three. It was really a toss up. I went to a I mean, how many vendors do you think were there selling comic books, Scott? Oh, I would say upwards of fifty. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty reasonable. All sorts of different ages, I guess you can say. Not everyone had silver. There was some gold age stuff too, which is very uh, rare. Some silver, some bronze. But a lot of modern stuff too. So it was all over the place. I went and looked at a bunch of different Justice Leagues. I didn't jump on the first one I saw. Checked out a bunch of different vendors, and I found one that was actually it was a toss up between Justice League number three, which is probably a three or so, two and a half, two point five or three on the uh, CGC scale quality wise. Got that for $50. I think it's probably worth twice that, possibly. Why they're selling it for so low, I don't know, but I got to really go through it, but it looks really good for what it is. So I think I got a deal there. I saw another one, another number three, that was in a lot worse shape, that was rated as a two, it had tears and rips and stains on the cover. And that was a two that, according to the person that was selling it, they wanted 70 for it. So I think it did pretty good with that. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's in beautiful shape. I was surprised they had it so low. Yeah, it was very surprising how low it was. It was a toss-up. I was going to grab a... Between that one and a Justice League number 17, there's another one I didn't have yet, and that was beautiful shape. I mean, that was probably... Again, they wanted $50 for it. I would say that was close to a 7 or an 8, if not higher. Just really, really good shape. I decided to go with number two, uh, number 3, since it's probably going to be harder to find in the long run. Get the low numbers first, as low as you can get. So, besides that, again, everything else is kind of kind of pricey for me. I could have gotten the same issues in worse condition, I have to say, but for a lot less money. They didn't have a lot of low, a lot of high number Justice League that was, you know, at all. So, I took that one purchase and that was that was basically it got a, little, a couple of tchotchkes for my my kids yeah tell, tell everybody what you got for your kids well it was funny <laughs> i got three different things for my my children because i have three of them and one i got a little stuffed animal my little pony thing i got a grab bag of action figures for uh, one of my boys for five bucks so it was a ziploc bag full of action figures and honestly i i got it because it has a lot of batman stuff in it and the jokers and, but there is a very cool Martian Manhunter action figure in there, which I'm going to be keeping for myself and not be giving to him. That'll, that'll go on my <laughs> my desk at work. For I guess for my eldest boy, I got a um, a Tribble. There was a gentleman that was selling. I never saw these before, but he was selling three different size Tribbles from Star Trek, the episode Trouble with Tribbles. Basically, the the biggest ones, the large size, were sound activated. So if you clapped your hand, it would start vibrating and cooing at you. The medium size would basically just when you touch it it would start cooing and making noises and the small ones were just you know plush toys basically so very cool things they had all sorts of stuff merchandise and kids wise there were a lot of kids there I mean I would say you know half the people there were probably kids if not more run all over the place but yeah I mean for comic book wise you gotta really be willing to bring some cash with you they had a I mean they had some things if I had unlimited resources I could have gone nuts. They had a Brave and the Bold 28, which is the first appearance ever of the Justice League. And that was, I think, like, with $9,800. Something like that. It was almost $10,000 for that comic. It was, it was surreal seeing that on the rack, just with, amongst all the other comics, like, up on the wall. I yeah. mean, it was, not that it was in a bin or anything, but just to see it out, like, it was like, wow, that's uh, the first appearance of the Justice League right there. Yeah, it was a beautiful, beautiful shape, too, I gotta say. It was a really nice copy uh, of that comic. And I got to hold a Justice League number one, which I wanted, I believe, $1,200, or no, $850 for it, $900, or yeah. something like that. And it was a decent copy. And he let me hold it, and I got to look at it. But, you know, that's way out of my price range for anything like that. So they had all, all the spectrum. They had some really, some of the shops had really uh, dumpy, cheap comics, you know, a buck buck bins, but nothing good, really. Some were really high-end $10,000 comics. So, I mean, it was all through the spectrum of what you wanted to buy. I saw the first appearance of Spider-Man, too. Did you see that on the on the wall in one of the booths? Uh, yeah, I think I saw that. I definitely saw, and it was, you know, pretty much at grabbing height. It was a, the first appearance of Iron Man. Yeah. And um, what was that comic it was in? Tales of Suspense? Yeah, yeah, whatever it was, but it was definitely the first issue of, com- of Iron Man. And I was shocked to see that. That was, um, you know, it was so close. I mean, anybody can go out and grab it, and that's probably a couple thousand dollars right there. <laughs> um, it was in good shape, too. I was looking for a lot of X-Men, and 
I was able to make some good deals with people. I think any time I went to purchase something, I said, can you go any lower? So they did, fortunately. So I picked up X-Men number 21, 23, 25, 38, 39, and 40. So that was uh, that was great. That was a huge chunk of my Silver Age collection now filled up. And uh, I was able to find Bob's Burgers number one, a couple of variant covers that I did not have before. I, Bob's Burgers is one of the few current comics that I actually purchased. And uh, I was surprised to see two more covers, variants, that I didn't have. And I found another variant for issue number two. And for half price, I got issue number five from volume one. So uh, I was able to pick those up. And because I bought those, uh, I got a free comic. So our resident Star Wars expert, Paul, who said, well, if you see anything Star Wars, let me know. And uh, so I did pick him up, Star Wars number one. I got that for free. Uh, A very cool variant. And I also got X-Men... I see here, 31, 33, and 24. They were a little damaged, so that was good. I made out well. I was afraid for a while walking around that I wasn't going to pick up anything because it seemed as though every bin I went to, they were like $200, $300. Yeah. It was just like, no way. They're very pricey. Yeah, they didn't... Like I thought going into this, that they weren't going to have a lot of cheaper bin stuff. But even the ones I've seen other places, like I mentioned, that were, you know, in the for Justice League, in the 50s, in the 40s, in the 30s, which I've seen elsewhere for under $10 in decent shape. They had good copies, but they were a lot more than, they were, you know, $20, $30 for, for these issues. And I'm just not going to pay that when I know I can get it somewhere else for a lot cheaper. Yeah, we did see also, we were actually both going to grab a X-Men 92, number one, another variant of that. We're both kind of collecting that one and have the uh, normal cover, but then we uh, we got to it and we noticed that all the variants they had of that issue were all marked up on the near the uh, staples, were not in pristine condition, even though they're brand new, basically. So we decided not to, not to go for that. So you got to be you gotta be careful. You gotta know what you're looking at, and it's hard. There's so many people pressing around you. One thing I noticed was I was looking at some compilation books that were 50% off at one booth, and are trying to, and there were just people that were just hanging over the booths, hanging over the boxes and the bins, and wouldn't let you get in. And you know, you could say excuse me, but they're looking through it and uh, or talking on their cell phones or whatever. So. That, that's kind of annoying. Yeah, overall, it, it was, I wish I could have gotten more, but I didn't have unlimited funds to go and pick up, you know, dozens of comics today. So I got one that I knew was something I needed. Yeah, of the both of us, you got the best one, for sure. Yeah, I made out on that one. I'm going to be looking through it, examining it, either later on today or tomorrow, just to see it, make sure there's no obvious issues with it. We're not returning it at this point. No, and that's... <laughs> That's the problem with this thing. You can't really pop it out of the bag right there and, and, and flip through it and see if there's any issues inside the book. You kind of go by what you see on the cover and hope that follows through through the interior pages, I guess. I've heard horror stories of people buying stuff and looking it looks good and it's really not. I'm hoping that's not the case. I'm hoping that a reputable dealer would, like some did, uh, mark on the bag itself with a sticker or write it or whatever if there's issues with it. You know, if it's detached at a certain spot or missing a page or, or rips or whatever. So this one seemed okay. Like I said, it was a toss-up until I started looking at more values. I'm guessing I, I doubled my investment on that today. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's definitely better than my number two. And uh, we got there, I don't know, I would say a little before 11, and we left at what, 2 o'clock? Yeah, we left at 2. And yeah. that, that was good because, man, the crowd started really coming in at that point, and... It was relatively busy when we first got in, but, man, as we were heading out, we were getting bumped around left and right. And, uh, you know, I feel bad. There was a lot of uh, disabled people in wheelchairs, and it was really, really hard for them to get around. It was very congested. Yeah, it definitely was, especially when we were leaving. It seemed like at first it wasn't that bad. Around 2 o'clock or so, it was it was getting pretty tight. Walking down an aisle, and, you know, part of the issue, too, is and I totally understand why they do it. I I agree with it. But people are taking stopping to take pictures with some of the the cosplay people. Eight foot Chewbacca. Eight foot Chewbacca <laughs> was walking the aisles, and you know there was it really made a bottleneck in the aisles. Uh, I'm sure the vendors kind of like it because people would stop, not necessarily to look at you know you know to look at their wares, but to take pictures of the Chewbacca. Yeah. So. Did you hear that guy telling his family, "Let's touch him. Come on, let's go over and touch him." <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of, I felt bad for that guy, the Chewbacca, it was very realistic. Uh, he wanted the attention, he, he did, got it. He did, There's also a guy in, I think, a Bumblebee costume, I guess you could say, it looked like a suit, it might have been Bumblebee, the, the Transformer. Yeah, the Camaro. I know, the Camaro. Yeah. But we didn't really see him, it was, because we couldn't get to him, really. Like I said, the cosplay aspect of it is, uh, it's a mixed bag. Yeah, for some people it's like, oh, come on, but, like, one thing I, I did notice that was awesome is there was a little boy in a wheelchair with a Hulk wheelchair, did you see yeah. that? do that too and that was really cool that you could do that the armrests of the wheelchair were hulk fists and it was really nice like it the words hulk were on it with like backlit with leds and it's like it was really awesome this custom wheelchair like that's what it's all about that's what it should be about yeah you know not these uh ten thousand dollar comic books that very few people can can buy you know yeah yeah and it was definitely like, cool to see that kind of thing and people who you know putting their heart into it. Some great Bob's Burgers costumes. Yeah, there were. There were. There was one mom who was walking around just with uh, Louise with a dress and with the hat, which is very funny. If they did it subtly like that, I thought it was pretty cool. Some kids with really cute costumes. Some vendors, too. Some vendors, yeah, got into the, got into the act. Yeah, so that, that was it was very interesting. One guy I saw in the Pikachu suit, which is kind of weird, but I saw Pikachu charging his cell phone at the charging station. Yeah, he looked very uh, upset. Yeah, we, I kind of felt bad because there were panels going on. It was like an upstairs area where the, the show was in the convention center where they had more stuff going on. It was basically just conference rooms that they had scheduled and meet and greets and just like questions. Q&A sessions with comic book writers and things like that, and I poked my hand in a few of the rooms and very sparsely attended. It seems like maybe they were just not interesting speakers or they weren't well known for some reason, but that was kind of weird. Even the one with Chase Masterson, who played Alita from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which I thought would be more covered at least. I mean, she was, a, like I said before, a pretty big character in the show for a while. She was a main character, I would say. Or a second, at least a secondary character. I mean, there were some people there, but not, you know, it was packed houses, basically. So, one suggestion I would give to the organizers next year would be maybe to cut down on the number of artists, or keep the number of artists the same, but try to get some bigger names in uh, celebrity type status. I would put them at one side of the, the floor. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of lines, the celebrities too, or even if they had them upstairs, because uh, the lines were just in the middle of everything between vendors and, and artists and celebrities. It was it, the traffic, the foot traffic was so much. Yeah, and I didn't expect that. Looking at the maps of the venue beforehand, I was under the impression that all the celebrities were a different area, a different room for signings and autographs and things. But the way that the convention center there is laid out, it's basically one huge room. And on the outside, on the walls, were the celebrities at their tables, you know, against the walls all the way around. And then in the middle were rows of the vendors. One big main row and a bunch of offshoot rows, like a supermarket almost. So it was there was some congestion, especially around the edges where the celebrities were. I think it would have been a lot better to have celebrities in a different room or the... I think there was partitions they could have done. Yeah. You know, partition it off or put them upstairs in that other conference area. Or rope off the lines so you know who's waiting in line and who's just kind of standing there in yeah. the middle of the aisle. I, I think it would have been a lot better. Maybe they just like to have everybody together for continuity sakes or, you know, just keep everything flowing well. But a lot of those, the rooms that they were being used for these Q&As were big enough where they could have easily put all the celebrities in one room, one big room or two big rooms upstairs and, and had them be that, you know, where you go to do that downstairs area and the main areas for vendors and that sort of thing and, uh, and there was actually a lot of wasted space on the main floor when you first walked in before you went into the actual convention center there was some food places the Batmobile was there in 66 but yeah that was cool the problem is there's so many people taking pictures, so you have to wait, you know, it takes forever to get up there, and it's like, oh, okay, looking at it, and that's the same thing with the celebrities, like we said, the price was prohibitive to, you know, once you're a super fan of data from the Goonies, you're not going to go up and, I went at least, get my picture taken with them, and with the, for that price, I mean, that was a lot of money. For free, we stood next to them, we were like four feet away from them for a while. You know, I almost asked you if I could stand like in front of the table and you could take a picture of me so he's like in back of the table on one side. <laughs> no, we're not going to cheat the guy out of cash. Stand there and just do that. But yeah, you, you, you could sit there. That was a nice thing. You could, you could stand there and stare at the guy if you want to. <laughs> one cool thing is we did hear uh, Kevin Conroy yell out, I am Batman in his Batman voice from the cartoon. Yeah, that was pretty cool. To a round of applause. To a round of applause, yeah. yeah. So it was, it was pretty cool to see them in, up in person and comic book men, like we said. Did see Chase Masterson, and she looks lovely. 
as she did back when she played Lita. I I'm curious to see what kind of questions they would ask her during the Q&A or whatever her thing was, because that would have been interesting to see that. Kind of like uh, William Shatner on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. It's yeah. just a show, people. <laughs> yeah. There was not, I saw a few Star Trek people. It was mostly, what would you say that most of the cosplay was, Scott, that people were doing character-wise? Mostly, uh, huh, that's a good question. I saw a lot of DC, a lot of Poison Ivy ladies, a lot of Harley Quinn, a lot of Joker, mostly, like, anything dark that's DC, a lot of Batman villains. Yeah, well, not a lot of heroes. There was, uh... A lot of Harley Quinn's, a lot of Jokers, a lot of Banes. I saw a few Banes in there. Yeah. yeah, but not not a lot of, uh, you know, Marvel. I mean, I saw some Deadpools, I think. Yeah, well, some Star Wars, a few Star Wars here and there. A few, you know, someone was trying to do a group with balloons, which is interesting. Yeah, that was kind of a, a neat twist on the idea of the costume. Yeah, so mostly comic-related cosplay. Not a lot of Star Trek. Those are the saddest cosplayers, the Star Trek ones. <laughs> um, I mean, because the guy's wearing a shirt, it was like a Starfleet shirt. And, uh, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a mixed group, but mostly comics. I started to get nervous when, uh, around lunchtime, people started bringing the food into the actual room where the comics were being sold. Did you notice that? Yeah, and I think there was actually a couple of food things in there, too. Oh, really, in the actual yeah, room? I think so, yeah. I saw a lady walking with two big greasy slices of pizza Ugh. and I'm just like oh no <laughs> I didn't know if that was allowed or what but I can just picture if you give it to a little kid you know and some of the racks are right down on the floor it's just like I hope there was no accidents this weekend yeah that was a recipe for disaster I mean I think wisely the comic book vendors kept their uh, less valuable wares in the floor but even if they, some of them got, you know, ran off with, no one cares. They definitely the high item stuff is behind behind them when they can easily get to them. And no one else could easily get to them. Let's put it that way. I'm high up on the shelf, so that's basically it. There was a lot of artists doing. I didn't see the prices on those, but a lot of the there was a whole section on one of the sides of the floor that was dedicated. This is why I say they should maybe focus on getting more celebrities next time or, or whatever. But there was a lot of artists who. You know, weren't getting as much attention on the other side, one side of the convention center, who had their own section. They were selling drawings and doing drawings and autographing books and stuff. CGC was there, like we said. They, I saw them talk to some people who had just gotten something signed, I think. Yep. They had, they had a little small little table. I saw the guy that did the voice of, uh, what's his name, Lionel from Thundercats. Did you see him? <laughs> I did see him, yeah. And the poor guy was just standing there. No one was at his table. It's like... I, I would have gone up and said something to him, but I never watched Thundercats. But I know that's like an iconic Saturday morning cartoon that kids loved back in the day. And it's, it was just kind of sad to see him taking the time to be there and no one caring. It was it was kind of sad. Yeah, that was very sad. Um, I did see that. He was right in the middle of uh, the celebrity section. And, you know, thank goodness they put they were wise enough to put the person's name and also some pictures of what they did. Or half these people wouldn't know wouldn't know who these people were, uh, especially the artists. I mean, I'm not an expert on comic book artists by any means, and some of them were just there, like we talked about this morning, they had they didn't have what they did, but they had pictures of what they did for, for art, so that was very helpful, but yeah, the poor Lionel guy, yeah. I'm trying to think who else didn't get much attention. There were a couple of artists that I didn't recognize, and yeah, or a lot of newer artists, but that's, I guess that's part of the course if you're kind of new to the comics industry. You might not get the same attention as, like, say, Walt and Louise Simonson, who I saw. They were signing all kinds of comics like crazy. I saw Louise was signing a ton of Apocalypse's first appearance, X-Factor number 6. I think everybody's banking on uh, X-Men Apocalypse, uh, bringing a lot of attention to that character. <laughs> Let's hope uh, good attention. Yeah, and that's typically the way the trend goes in what we've heard for comic book vendors that we know. They have to kind of gauge the, the trends by what's currently going to be hot, and that's what's going to be on TV or the movies. Like, uh, I think Rick from the Atomic Dime Store said that. What was he selling a lot of that he didn't know of recently? Ms. Marvel, I think, was one because yeah, of the movie. Ms. Marvel was starting to be huge, and he was kind of unprepared for it, and all the stuff sold out. You know, Howard the Duck has gotten a little more popular now. And Suicide Squad is big. Suicide Squad. They have to really... They can't just throw anything out there. They have to know what's coming out in the future. You know, I was surprised there wasn't more Justice League type stuff. There wasn't a lot of Batman, 
Man is the movie's coming out next year, so it must be it must be hard to know what to bring and what not to bring, you know. Um, on the walls, I saw a good mix. Um, all the Marvel, on DC. Yeah, in the bins themselves, I'm surprised there wasn't more. My taste was the more Justice League stuff uh, that was reasonably priced. So definitely a mixed bag. It was a great experience. I'm glad we went. Well, here's the ultimate question now. Next year, would you go again? Uh, yeah, I've been thinking about this ever since we left. I don't know. I, I would probably... I'm not... Let's put it this way. I'm not a definite yes. I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, I'll definitely be back next year. I would have to see how things were next year, time-wise, but... It's not going to be a priority, let's put it that way. I'm not going to scramble right now to start planning next year's trip. Just because it was so... I, I mean, depending on what you're looking for. If you like the cosplay stuff, it's great. If you like the celebrity stuff, it's great. If you're there to do comic-related purchasing, eh, not so much. Unless you, you have uh, a, a pistol of money you can bring in and, and shove in their face. Or you're looking for something very specific. That is a good thing, because if you're looking for... Like, if I wanted to buy a... Justice League of America number one today, I could have if I had the fun. So that's one nice thing about it. But you got to think, too, Comic-Con isn't free to get into. That, there was a ticket price for both of us to get in, so that's another factor. For the price, if it was free to get in next year, I would say, yeah, I would probably would check it out maybe for a couple hours or an hour. The fact that you have to pay 25 bucks to get in, eh, not so much. I'd rather spend the day going to different shops in the area and, and trying to find cheaper stuff, spend that money more wisely. Yeah, same here. I thought it was cool to check it out. I, I don't really get into it as much as other people, like as much as these other costumed folks uh, that were really enjoying themselves. Uh, I kind of looked at it as a, a bigger flea market of sorts. You know, I wanted to see what was on the different tables and try to get some bargains and talk some people down. And I got some great deals, but nothing so much that I wouldn't go to comic book stores anymore or anything like that. And, uh, yeah, I think next year I'd probably save my money. Unless, you know, something was really special. But seeing from what I saw now, like, say, Stan Lee was coming next year, it's not like we'd ever get near the guy. Yeah. It would be so crowded. So, yeah, probably pass on next year. But uh, it was fun, and at least we got a, a bonus episode out of it. Yeah, very true. And I wouldn't even, I'll tell you one thing I would not do, after seeing this small Comic-Con, I mean, I... I Really, realistically, it was a smaller con. It wasn't, you know, huge like Boston or San Diego by any means. I would never want to go to one of those bigger cons after seeing this one. Because it would have been so insane to go to one of those, even with so bigger celebrities and stuff. And, uh, no thank you. I would, I would stay away. Like, I, like Scott said and I said, I would rather spend the money that I spent on the, the admission price going and getting two or three books at a local comic store in my area that same weekend. You know what I mean? Yep. It, it's just not not worth it to go out and, you know, unless, again, you're looking for something very specific. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for our uh, bonus episode. We're on our way back to Massachusetts. We're, we're heading home after this long day. And um, thank you to Patty for uh, treating us to Chinese food for yeah, dinner. Thanks, thanks, Mom. We appreciate that. We don't have to eat tonight, so that was nice. Well, I mean, if you want to eat, Scott, it's up to you. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm thinking, I, don't, I can't eat now. Yep, so we'll uh, talk to you next time on the Hitting Play Comic Book Hour show. <laughs> and there you have it. I hope you enjoyed joining us on our day's activity. Just a couple of notes as we close. Uh, after the Comic-Con was over, I read that they announced that this was actually the last time that it was going to be held under the name Connecticut Comic-Con. So we were at the last one. I mean, not really, because starting next year, it will be known as Terrificon. So I just, I just hope that's not any indication of a trend away from comic books, as most of these conventions are more and more becoming pop culture exhibitions. Oh, and by the way, the actor who played Dengar was the late Morris Bush, and the explanation of Dengar's bandages is that he's a Karelian, like Han Solo, and when they were younger, the story goes, he challenged Han to a swoop bike race. And Han pulled some sort of maneuver that put Dengar's face right up to the exhaust, burning him extensively, and causing him to crash into crystalline plants, one of which impaled his brain. So I can kind of understand why he volunteered. 
I got a message from Sean on Monday that when he finally did take his copy of Justice League number three out of the bag to examine it a little more closely, it did have a little bit of tape on the spine. So that might explain the lower price, but still a very good deal and a very good addition to his collection. I know he's very happy about it. And for those of you thinking, you know, that wasn't nice of Sean to buy that bag of toys for his son and then just save the best one for himself. Well, guess what? Later on, we went through the contents of the bag, and that Martian Manhunter figure that he mentioned, that was the best and he wanted it for himself, well, it was missing an arm. In fact, a lot of those figures in there were missing arms for some reason, so... See, that's what happens. Alright, well, that'll do it for this bonus episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, your own con experiences, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. For those of you interested in gaming, check out Lily's YouTube channel, LilyPution22, and you can follow her on Twitter at LilyPution22. I am on Twitter as well, I am MC and Friends there, and I am also on Vine, my name there is also MC and Friends. There I do flip page animation and little humorous cartoons, you can check my stuff out there. And please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It really helps us out. And if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. You can also tap to rate us five stars right on our iTunes page. And anything you can do to help us in that respect, it is very much appreciated. Well, this has been the bonus edition of Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.